Well, in this episode of uh, Heroes and Friends, the first one in 2020, we set out to do our normal podcast. This one has run a little bit longer for the sheer reason that Richard's Mulligan story is rather extraordinary. And it's a wonderful story with such, told with such honesty by Richard himself. Coming out of Shan Ross Abbey at the age of three, not able to walk, making it all the way to be a national champion at track, cross country and road, getting to Providence College in America, and now heading up the charts with a country album. It's a great story, it's worth giving at the time, and I'm delighted that we've given it the time. This is the first episode of Heroes and Friends, uh, produced by Nick Maloney, and the interviews with myself and Richard Mulligan, originally from Kilcurran, but now happily living with his family here in Dublin. Have a listen. I think it's well worthwhile to give it the hour at least. We're in the home of Richard Mulligan, a man of many talents. First off, a man, of course, who won not one, but three national titles at least, uh, across a range, including track, cross-country and road, and the road being the marathon as well. And in more recent times, uh, a recording artist with his own album uh, called I Never Met You, a whole bunch of really good... uh, country songs and he's an emerging athlete who has uh, been played not alone in Ireland but right across the world at the moment and uh, it's a pleasure to be invited to the house here Richard and I see up on the wall here what caught my eye as I came in two flags one Irish and one American what's the significance of that? Oh (laughs) well first of all thanks so much for uh, coming down to interview me it's it's an honour for me um, the significance of the two flags is I've always loved America. I've always had this love affair with America since I was a kid. I don't know whether it was because uh, uh, we had relations over there that used to come home and visit, or was it the fact that I heard Elvis and Elvis was from America, and uh, from there on in I always wanted to go to America, and I always had this image in my head about America, you know, and how wonderful a place it must be. And uh, but anyway, as a for the long story short, the two flags are there. The, when any American friends are coming, I always put them out on the porch, uh, in the front of the house here to welcome them. You know, put the Irish and the American flag out, because when you're in America, uh, they love having their flag out on the front porch. And of course, you were lucky enough to get to America. I was. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I I spent six years living there, and uh, I've been over there countless times since you know so and the six years was involved with your running career yeah yeah in providence college from 1980 to 86 i was there yeah yeah. but you didn't have a really great beginning in life you had you had a struggling beginning in life really it wasn't all a bed of roses uh going back to the day what are your earliest memories say even as as a child well i i suppose the I, I was born in an orphanage and um, I spent three years there um, and I suppose my earliest memory of that uh, vivid memory uh, would be of leaving you know and going out to a strange car to strange people and being led out uh, by one of the the nuns you know this person in a in a black uh, dress that you know I, I, I remember that very clearly and saying goodbye to me you know and, um, and the journey which seemed forever I remember that you know uh, being in this car with strange people and but all the windy roads uh, back to Galway as it turned out to be you know and you were um, only three years old then yeah yeah three years yeah, yeah and yet those memories still endure that 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 particular one does yeah yeah and can um, you give us just a little bit of background of how all that emerged how Sean Ross Abbey and Ross Gray a long way from Connemara, where uh, things began, I suppose. Well, in those days, uh, I suppose uh, any you know Dublin or 
anywhere in the country where the another country away you know people uh, obviously walked and cycled everywhere so from Connemara to Shan Ross was a world away yeah yeah it would have been a long way away back then and your dear mother at the time uh, had to go some through some ordeal to be uh, not but by her own goodwill or anything going to Shan Ross but was Literally forcibly taken there. Well, like uh, when I eventually found my mother many years later, uh, it was was nearly 30 when I found her, 28, 29, around that age. Um, Yeah, no, she told me like uh, her story and what had happened to her. And basically she she, uh, had an affair with a local man and um, it wasn't accepted by the local priest and uh, doctor and they... But the doctor and the priest and the guard arrived and forcibly removed her from her home uh, and brought her to Rosque, to Shan Ross, uh, to have the child there, you know. And uh, she didn't have any choice in the matter. They were taking the child regardless. And, and the only thing she could do was not sign anything because they were trying to get her to sign release papers. And she never did that. And as a result of that, they kept her there four years and they gave her a, a tough time. And she was there, you know. And they wanted and she, her, I believe you, we talked about this before, to sign papers that would have probably allowed uh, an American couple to uh, take you to, to America. Yes, yeah. well, well that, that would be, would appear to be the reason behind uh, uh, these papers, you know, was just to release the child, you know, to give up all your rights to the child. And that's what it was, you know. And... Um, that at the time they were selling babies to America, yeah. As it turns out, you know, we, we found out later, you know, that that's, that's what they were doing, yeah. So. so it was an extraordinary tough time for her, but let's remember that this was in Ireland of what, about 1961, 1961 was it? 1961, yeah. 1961, yeah, 1961, and this was yeah. still the case. And you and I visited Shanross Abbey, and it was a privilege to go there with you, mm-hmm. but we saw, and, and I could see the effect it had even still with you as well, so many children buried there, mothers. Uh, it was a very, very difficult time, and and, and not a very enlightened Ireland. It, yeah, it's, it's very, it's a, it's very sad when you go there because uh, I suppose the one place that you would have thought that there was refuge and that people cared about you would be the at the time would have been the church, you know, and uh, but it turned out that they were kind of very brutal. Uh, they acted very uh, un. I don't know what is the proper word to use, but unchristian, you know. Uh, and I, I wrote a song about it. Uh, it's going to be on my new album. Um, it's called Forgiveness. And basically, I just quote the words of the Bible. You know, do unto others what you wish them to do to you. You know, and um, it just didn't seem a very Christian way to behave. You know, and uh, but I do believe that they were blinded by this false belief or this false faith i i think they they meant well but uh they were just misguided you know and uh, anyone that kind of was outside what we call the church rules uh they felt they were in sin and they needed to be punished and they went about that in their merry way you know obviously trying to punish people for not conforming maybe is the way to put it you know and in many ways i suppose you're blessed that you have a forgiving nature that you haven't you know, clung on to that, but the fact that your mother was kept there for four years uh, didn't see you after your birth, except for a very short while. Yes, yeah. I, I think for me, the most extraordinary thing about the whole thing is that my mother had been married and uh, she had another son who was living at home. And why they would have not let her back to her other son is just beyond me, you know. Like, why would they be so cruel as to deprive a child of their of their mother, you know? It didn't seem to bother them uh, that she had another son. Like, he was 14 when she left, and he was uh, 18 when she came back. You know, he hadn't seen his mum in four years. And was raised by her parents. Raised by her parents, yeah. yeah. It's, it's so and hard to yeah. even comprehend that. And mm. the fact that in Shanross Abbey you you were one side of the the building and she was the she other, was the other side. and no access to you, no access, yeah, didn't even know that I was there, you know, everything was just kept, uh, hush, you know, 
And then there was a family intervention, I think you told me about that, her sister was it that came, her, her sister, came down from Connemara. Her sister Annie and her husband Richard, uh, they, my mother was what they used to call a placement, she was sent out to a farmer and the, in turn the farmer paid into the, into the orphanage uh, for labour and basically that's what my mother was sent out to work with this farmer and uh, when she was out she got to write a letter home and let them know roughly where she was and they came down, they drove down and they, they, they found her, you know, and it was a couple of miles outside Roscray where they found her and uh, she was out in the field digging potatoes at the time and uh, she was also minding six kids for this man uh, whose wife had died you know and that's why they, he needed help but uh, she just stuck the potato fork in the field and ran to the car and never looked back and for years this is the she was afraid they'd come looking for her you know for many years uh, she was afraid they would come looking for her you know and we'll come back to the time when you finally found your mother. But, you know, the resilience you must have had to show, because uh, I remember you telling me as well that you weren't in great condition when you were leaving Chanras. That's your memory, and that's what you've been told, I think, as well, uh, by the people who fostered and, and adopted you as well. Yeah. Well, you, you know, it really struck home with me. I mean, I, I remember as a child being very sick and ran down and in hospital many times you know with pains and uh, I used to get t terrible boils uh, and uh, you know very unhealthy when I was younger but uh, I, I suppose what brought it all home was when my birth mother and adoptive mother met for the first time and they were both thanking each other you know it was a wonderful location um, but I, I think but my uh, adoptive mother uh, broke down and basically said to my mother like your heart went out or she said because you want to see the condition that she got me in you know and that I, here I was as nearly three years of age and I couldn't stand up um, and I was like a, she just the way of describing me was uh, that I was like a little calf just being born you know that I, I was staggering all over the place and I couldn't walk properly and uh, I was covered in nappy rash and she said I'd never seen any child having a rash the same as bad as I did and I was just skin and bone and and the, the ironic thing was that and they were saying look at him now I was getting ready to go for a run up the mountain you know and uh, so that was the kind of a, a nice moment you know a magic moment uh, where they both were able to share and talk about it you know but it, but it also was the first time that my adoptive mum had told me uh, what condition I was in when she got me, you know, yeah, as well. But she must have been a very loving woman and, and her husband as well, uh, the family that did adopt you in Kilcurr well, and in Galway, yeah? You know, uh, like, it, it's, uh, if I, like, I can't imagine my life without them, you know, so uh, to me they were my parents, you know, and, and uh, um, they were just marvellous people and very down-to-earth people, very honest people and I hope that, uh, you know, that I've inherited a lot of their traits, you know, I think, and their values and uh, they were just marvellous people. So I, I, you, when you say like how I can forgive and stuff like that, I suppose when you, uh, when you're young, I suppose the most important thing is knowing that you're loved and cared for, you know, and I certainly had that, you know. You seem to have had that in great abundance. And yeah, yeah. They had another yeah. boy as well, I believe. In they, the they adopted my brother John. Uh, he was taken from the Grove and Shum, you know, and uh, obviously we've heard stories about that as well, you know. So, yeah, yeah. So, and uh, he was two and a half years older than me. He was there before me, you know. And uh, oddly enough, uh, I think they got both of us. There was ads put in the paper, you know, looking for. Um, uh, parents are adoptive, not sorry, foster parents. Hmm. And it's also, I don't want to get everything confused, but I wasn't actually adopted uh, until I was 17, gone nearly 18 when I was adopted, you know, because they couldn't, because my mother had never signed any forms, they couldn't adopt me, you know, until I did it myself, you know, so. Um, so, 
Yeah, we both, John and myself, were formally adopted when we were about 17 years of age. You know. And how would you describe, now looking back, how would you describe, say, if I just ask you straight up, to, to describe uh, your foster parents, you know, uh, how would, what's the immediate thing you think about them? Uh, I, I, would, I, I suppose, and I always say this, uh, I probably love them more than a natural child would, you know, as with a bond there. Uh, I suppose I, I, I feel indebted to them, you know, in a way that they saved me from a situation, you know, and uh, I suppose even when I think about them, I, I feel emotional about them because um, they were just marvellous people, you know. Uh, um, just hard-working, honest people, no nonsense, but very relaxed and, you know, not materialistic, uh, none of those things matter. And we have, um, it's most definitely something that I've inherited, they love people and they love, they love people coming into the house and I just l love people as well and, you know, it, it's just... Yeah, this is a very much an open door house and a marvelous welcome. Yeah, what is the most important thing to me is is uh, welcoming people, and because to me that's all life is. It's about friendship and you know good friendships and and, and happiness. You know, and that's what for me is what life is. You know, it's nothing else. Nothing else matters. Like you know, uh, it's just that's the, the that's the most important thing. And you have a lovely song only written, recently written, uh, where there's a beautiful, beautiful image. It's, it's about this old farm, which we will come back to in this podcast. But it's about the image that I, I just is with me of uh, your, your adopted or your foster dad uh, throwing you and your brother up into the hay. Yes. That's absolutely, you know, it's something that I think anybody who ever came from the country can identify with. Uh, those are the sort of uh, joyous times you remember. Absolutely. I mean, you know, when you're trying to write a song, there's about a hundred things you could put in that are magical moments, you know, are, are magical times, but you can't fit them all into a song. So you kind of just go with one thing. And that's, that's what I, I went with, was that just the joy of, you know, running up to my dad and say, throw me up, dad, you know, throw me up on the top of the cock. Hey, you know, wake up. And he used to make us walk around the cock and to make it... Uh, you know wider you know when we're yeah. really small and the fun we had running around you know and one of my favorite things is apple pie you know and obviously my mother everything was got from the garden and they they're cooking like she baked she was a mar i always say my mother could have been anything and yet she ended up just being a, a housewife and uh working on the farm and but she could turn her hand to anything she she could bake, she could cook, she could do anything, and she was just a marvelous, marvelous person, you know. And uh, in the song, I have a line on it, um, you know, Mama baking apple pie, you know, and that that's one of my favorite things that she used to bake, and the juice running out of the pie, and you'd be dying to get a cut of it, you know. So, and the other thing, she used to always put a cross on everything. Uh, you know, when she baked a cake, she put a cross on it, or if she was making the apple tart, she'd roll a little bit of dough and she'd have a cross on it. She was a very religious woman, you know. And you captured that, I think, perfectly in the sound. But let's mm. go back a bit now to the running, and, and we'll come back again to a couple of, of other areas of your growing up. But when, what's your earliest memory of discovering maybe that you had some uh, athletic talent? I, I, I suppose for me, that the... the, the, the First of all, I started playing football. Uh, that was the first thing, and I, I suppose, I wasn't aware of it at the time. But uh, in North East Galway, it's a football county. It's just all football, you know, no hurling, nothing. So, and it was the glory days. Obviously, I was born in sixty one. I arrived in Galway in sixty four. Is it uh, in Kilcairn? Yeah, in Kilcairn, I'd have arrived in sixty four. And then you had this golden year of 64, 65 and 66. So obviously subconsciously I'm listening on the radio and the, my father and the excitement of, you know, listening to the radio or listening to the matches, you know. And, uh, that, and that's a very vivid memory, you know, uh, on a Sunday, summer Sunday, you know. Very rare would my dad be listening to the radio, but on a Sunday he'd always turn on the little 
the radio to listen to the matches you know and god we were obviously winning and all these names you know like Matty McDonough and Johnny Garrity and and these people they came from towns around like Johnny Garrity is a Kilcarran man uh Matty McDonough was from Ballygar which was only over the road so like I when that match was over I'd be out in the field and I'd be like kicking the ball and I'm going to you know you had your heroes they they were my heroes and I was going to uh I was going to play in Crow Park someday you know and as it was I did play for Galway under 16 and I was uh, we won the Connacht Tedweb trophy uh so I I I had I was uh, that was a wonderful uh and I was also on the minor panel but when I at the time I got to the minor panel I was also running and um I was selected to run for Ireland and I had a choice to make so I pulled out because I was afraid I'd get injured I pulled out of the minor training and I actually never kicked a football from that day to now uh, oh. in a sense uh, it was just a total cut went to, to running but you asked me how did I know I had a running talent I suppose when I was playing football uh, people that would say oh geez that guy he can run forever you know and it was pretty obvious you know even in training that I'd be miles ahead of everyone and I'd be looking back wondering why what's taking these guys so long to, to come around you know we'd be doing it in our football boots and all that so it was evident from the start that I could run and I could keep running and um, can you remember your first actual success as a runner yeah yeah it, it, I suppose um, there's a number of things like the uh, I would have ran in local sports and stuff and one race. I remember uh, going up with my friends to the local sports in Kilcairn and the, there was a car and it had um, about 20 trophies in the back of it. And, you know, I nearly came home with them all, you know. And that was from the 100 to the 200, the 400, the 1500, you know, and every, you know everything, ran in everything. and. There was one big trophy and I was saying I'd love to win that and I came home with that, you know. Uh, so it was evident that I could run, you know, uh, from early on, yeah, yeah. So the child that could hardly walk at three years of age showed remarkable resilience because you were yeah. embraced with love and support. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, but I suppose the, the, the big thing that I lacked, and, and it probably all through my running career and... Uh, is is um, confidence, you know, confidence in myself and my own ability, and not realizing that I had a talent, you know, that um, if I had fully exploited it, maybe I would have gone further. But you know, there's no good looking back, you know. But you went a whole long way with it because through your career, you won, you know, national ten thousand meters, mm-hmm. twice uh, silver medal in the national five thousand inter-counties cross country and even a national marathon title that that was you know that in by any standards uh, that's a huge level of success and then you got uh, a stepping stone to uh, america and to providence college so uh, you, you had a quite a fulfilling i'm sure athletic career i, I yeah I, well, I mean yeah don't get me wrong i mean i suppose i i look at my athletic career i kind of wipe it off because i didn't make the olympics you know and that that's uh, <laughs> That still hurts, you know. I, and I think what hurts about it most is not that I didn't make it. There are many, many, many fine athletes who didn't make it. But I, I think deep down I knew I was good enough to make it. And when you don't, when you don't achieve something that you should, you know, you feel you've let people down. You feel you've let yourself down, you know. And uh, from that point of view, uh, it, it's. I feel it, it was a failure. But no. But honestly, I mean. As I say, in sport, everything is relative, so I have to be grateful for the wonderful things that I did win and place, you know, high placings. And it took it, going to America opened up a whole world for me, you know, and uh, it, it was magic, yeah, yeah. But in America, even in, in uh, Providence College, we had a chat about this before, you did play a certain part in helping one John Tracy as he prepared for the big marathon of his life where he won silver in, in uh, the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles. I believe yeah. you trained with him uh, when he was doing some of his distance we did. long runs. Uh, I mean, look, uh, what can I say about John? You know, John, 
he, he just had this unbelievable talent you know uh, probably the most underrated uh, runner in many ways you know John could beat anyone you know he was just he just this amazing ability to run you know and it wasn't that he was the most stylish runner in the world but he could cover the ground you know and uh, it was just an honour to be there with him and there were lots of wonderful wonderful athletes uh, there as well but John obviously was the top of them all and uh, a few other uh, Irish lads as well oh there was there was loads and uh, you know Richard Flynn from Cork you know and a lot of people wouldn't know who Richard is now but Richard finished second in NCAAs you know the standard of of, of talent that was there was unbelievable um, Charlie Breggy who was a top in ACA man at the time Mick O'Shea who ran in the Olympics uh, in um, Moscow uh, for Ireland the 5000 you know I uh, I was with all these guys I was in awe with all these guys you know because uh, I knew Mick had gone to the Olympics and stuff and they were all great lads and all very helpful and very supportive as well you know and then you like Jimmy Fallon uh, was there Paul Maloney from Limerick um Ray Tracy was there. Um, Ray was actually coach now in Providence. Um, you know the list goes on. Like there's just just so many. Uh, but go back uh, to a little bit there because we were talking the other day about John was always preparing for that marathon, and you did a few significant runs with him. Yes. Uh, well, one in particular was a, uh, and I knew that John was ready. Uh, well, he ran a half marathon down in New York, and. Uh, he asked me to help him out and what I did was I ran uh, after he'd ran the half marathon I ran seven miles with him uh, at, at the race pace we continued on so I was warming up at the end of the line and John comes running through full blast and I take off with him and we run the rest of the up to you know seven eight miles together you know uh, and I knew then you know he really looked good at that time but also at the same time, Jeff Smith was there from Liverpool and Jeff was training and you know what, it was a toss-up, they both were flying it, you know, but unfortunately it didn't work out for Jeff, but it did for John, And but I've no doubt if things had worked for Jeff, that Jeff would be up there in the top three as well, you know. And um, just going back to the to the whole Providence uh, set-up, did you all train together over there or what, what, was, the, what was it like uh, coming from Ireland? into that environment in Providence College? We, you know, there was a bunch of Irish and a couple of English lads there and it was just, we all became very good friends and our lifelong friends, which is, which is wonderful about the whole thing, you know. Despite being competitive and all the rest of it, we were all, uh, you know, very good friends. And that's, uh, is there anything you'd change when you go back and talk about the Olympics and maybe for young athletes coming through and stuff, is there anything you would have changed that might have steered your course closer to making the Olympics because you had very good times. Yeah, I, I think what the, the only thing I would have done different is, and it's, it's the vital thing, is do the simple things right, you know, and be totally focused on what you're training for, you know. And I didn't do the simple things right. I was always distracted by other things. And uh, distraction is the... <laughs> uh, and, you know, there were times like... I. And this year, probably think this is funny, but uh, when I went to over to America, like I when I was here, I used to try and get Elvis records, and I couldn't find them. You know, they didn't have; they only had a few. When I went to America, all of a sudden, I realized you can get every Elvis LP that there is out there, and I was more con- concentrating on stuff like that, you know, than put my mind towards running, you know, and. Uh, and you're you're uh, going to show us another side of your talent there because maybe we could entice you to do a short version maybe of an Elvis song. I will. I will. I'd love to. I'd love to do uh, uh, something. Uh, I'll do a happy a happy song. You know, like uh, you know, it's um, we'll do a good luck charm, I suppose.
you ever make it to Graceland? I did, I did. I, I certainly did. I had the opportunity and I couldn't... I, I, I did something crazy. I can't remember what year it was, but um, I had this gap where we were going to Florida. We were flying to Florida two days later and uh, my Margaret and the kids were there with me and we were staying with friends of ours there. And I just said, Graceland is within striking distance. So I hopped in the car at about four o'clock in the morning and I was initially going to go to Graceland, but I got this brainwave and I just left Huntsville, Alabama. And I said, let's drive to Tupelo because it's like a triangle, you know? So yeah. I drove to Tupelo. I spent about an hour in Tupelo. I found where Elvis's birthplace was. I sat on the porch and got a few pictures taken, hopped in the car, drove to Memphis, just drove through Memphis, but drove up to Graceland and stayed for a couple of hours in Graceland and uh, hopped in the car and then head for Nashville. And I stayed for about an hour in Nashville and drove back to Huntsville. So I did all that in one, one day. So I started about four in the morning and didn't get back to maybe six the next morning. Now I was <laughs> not for the faint hearted because I was really, really getting tired as we're coming back to Huntsville. But. And in your wildest dreams then, did you ever think that you'd have an album out of your own that would not at all be played on radio stations, including RTE in Ireland, but in about so many countries, you might be able to tell us how many countries you had tracks played this year. Did that ever occur to you at the time that music might take a part of your life as well? I, I would, uh, I don't know, to be honest. Uh, I probably wouldn't have had the confidence at that time to think that I would. Uh, you know, it's been a gradual thing. It's something I've always... You know, when I was a kid, I used to write my own songs in my head and be singing them as I was going along on the bike, you know. And obviously, Elvis was a huge influence and I loved music. Well, I love all styles and kinds of music, but uh, for me to get to Graceland was magic. And I have to say, it was one of the nicest experiences and, that I've ever had. And the feeling of being there was like, it was magic, you know. It, I just, it was lovely, you know. and. Uh, did I think I'd have my own album out? No, no, and to be honest, I, I probably not, wouldn't have thought that, no. But it's been a great year for you because just give us a small little insight into how the album happened and the success it has achieved as well. Yeah, I, I suppose because I love music and, and stuff and when my kids were, like I, I used to stay home and mind the kids here when they were going to school and stuff and uh, you know, I I used to be waiting for them. You know how you're dropping them off places and they're doing... So I started to learn the tin whistle and the harmonica in the car waiting for them, you know, and that's that's how I started. Uh, and uh, the guitar, I, I started to learn because I, I, I bought my son a guitar thinking he would take it up and he'd, uh, he wasn't using it that much, so I started playing it then and that's how I started taking the guitar up. So it's been a gradual thing you know the build up to the album is a gradual thing but what I started to do maybe seven or eight years ago was I used to go to nursing homes and uh, sing a few songs for them and that's where I've kind of uh, started performing and it was only after people coming to me and asking me where are you performing and where you know can we go see you and stuff like that that I started to um, you know, I wasn't paying heed for a long time, you know, but a couple of my friends, including you, uh, uh, Jim Gohan, obviously from Bell Mullet, who is a very good friend of both of us, uh, he, he said, Richard, you should be out in the road. He said, like, you're way better than most of them out there who are making a living from us, you know, but I didn't believe him for a long time, you know, and, and I'm not suggesting that I am. It's just that, you know, that's what encouraged me and that's where the album came along, you know. I, I said I would, um, I, I'd go in and just see how I sound, you know, and as a result, that's how the album came about. And my own songs, I, I, I didn't have the confidence in my own songs either, but uh, I said, when I'm in there, I'll just throw a few of them down and see, you know, are they, and they turned out to be probably the, the most popular songs. And very well received and all. And you told mm. me a lovely story about being over, I think it was in Florida this year, 
and you're driving along in the car and suddenly there's a local station playing yes. one of your songs. Yes, a uh, plane I never met you. It just came on the radio, yeah, yeah. So And I never um, met you as the title track and it's for yeah. your dad as well, your 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 yeah, birth dad. I, I wrote that song uh, when I found uh, it's a you know, it's like in many ways the the experiences that I've had in my life are while they're tri- sad in one way, they're amazing experiences in another way because like one, you know, to, to be able to walk up to your mum, you know, that you've never met and knock on her door. And, yeah, take and us, that, before we that, go to, to your dad on that one, yes. take us through that experience uh, in uh, what prompted the, the, the search for your mother. I remember you telling me that you had got yeah. married and maybe how you met Margaret and you had five children. Yeah, they give us their names as well. Yeah, four four uh, children. Four, four children. Four, sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm mixing them up that I have five myself. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, how how that came about and 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 the work you had to do to go and, and actually uh, trace her down. Well, well, tracing my mum. Uh, first of all, again, it's all down to confidence. This is something uh, that that's always in the back of my mind. You know. But you have such loyalty to your adoptive parents, you don't want to hurt them, and um, you feel by asking them or telling them that you want to find your mum, uh, that you're being disloyal. You know that. So you're you're torn. That, that that's a hard thing to come to terms with. You know, in terms of, uh, you don't want them to think that you don't love them or care about them. So, um, the driving force, the the catalyst, really that made me go find my mum was when I had the birth of my first son Richard you know uh, and being there and, and the experience of the birth and stuff obviously it, it magnifies in your own head uh, and immediately I knew as I held Richard in my arms I've got to find my mother you know, I've got to tell her I'm okay doesn't matter whether she, you know nothing but else she you or not. I've just got to go yeah. tell her that I'm alive and I'm well and you know, because it's such a bond with a mother and child, you know, and uh, that that's what really propelled me to go find her. And uh, whether we had a relationship after that, you know, that was really down to her. You know, I, I didn't want to be in, in, intruding in her life in any way if, if she didn't want me, you know. But uh, Can you tell uh, us about the moment you did walk up to that door in Connemara? Y- yeah, uh, it, it's, a, it's an amazing experience, you know, and it, it takes a lot of... Um, I, I, naivety I suppose as well in a way in a sense that you know you could be ran from the door you know but I never felt that I would be you know I I, I but yeah you're you are nervous like you know it, it's a your heart is pounding in your chest you know and uh, you know you walk the door happened to be open you know she had a half door you know and uh, from my recollection and I, I remember knocking at the door and hearing a voice and your head is saying this is my mum's voice the first time I've heard my mum you know and um, she came to the door and I asked her if she was a Mary Flaherty which was her name and she said no she said no I'm Mary Guy you know and uh, I was about to turn around and leave you know I said I'm really sorry I've got the wrong house you know Um, but I I I thought on my feet and I said to her I said uh, just in case I haven't got the wrong house, I said, you didn't by any chance have a son, Joseph. And with that, her head dropped, you know, and she'd had a son who died, you know, and this is the boy I was telling you about earlier in the interview, that uh, he was 14 when she left him and he was 18 when she came back. Well, unfortunately, Joseph died at 38 from cancer. He would be my half-brother, you know, but... um. Um, your head dropped and so I knew I had the right person and so I just said look I said uh, I don't know whether I should be here or whether you're annoyed that I come here but my name is Richard you know and she just froze at the door at that point you know so I brought her in I took her by the hand and brought her in and sat her down by the fire and I made a cup of tea for her you know she had a range and uh, she sat by the range and I put the kettle on and but I kept talking to her and reassuring her that you know I wasn't here looking for anything or I wasn't annoyed I just wanted to let her know that I was okay and I said if you don't want me to come back I, you know I won't you know I, I respect you know but I just wanted you to know that I'm alive and well and that I'm all right 
and she, she stopped me there so I knew then that she wanted me you know and so that, that was magic and on that same visit Margaret and Richard were down in uh, Clifton in a hotel so I asked her would she like to see her grandson you know and she was very emotional then you know and stuff so uh, yeah so that's that was beautiful. Yeah, and, how that happened. And of course, you today about when your your child was born, when your Richard, your young Richard was born first. And how did Margaret and yourself meet originally? We met in Providence, in Rhode Island. She was over visiting friends, mutual friends, you know, and uh, that's where we got to to meet, yeah, for the first time. So. And then afterwards, you had a great relationship with your mother, who met your 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 foster and adoptive yes, parents yes, and yes 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 so yes. there was a good great ending to that story lovely that my dad unfortunately had died at this stage my uh, adoptive dad like had died he did, he never met my mother you know but uh, but my both mothers met you know and but you never you times. never met your father but you did find his grave i found his grave and the i never met you song i had that you know, this is as I said, this is something that I did all my life. You know, when you when you get in a moment where you just capture the moment in your head, you know. And I had a song written up before I left the grave, in a sense, you know, because it's just the thoughts of standing uh, over his grave, you know, and uh, looking at the headstone and you know, deeply regretted by his wife and family. It was a message on the grave, you know, but it didn't mention. Uh, that I never met you on it, you know, and, that, and that's where, like, I'm not in the picture, you know, and that's where the the idea of um, where I never met you came from. And but you, you know, did meet with his family, and well, you found they were musical as well. Had a magical in the last two years. It's just been wonderful because, uh, like, I have two uh, half sisters and uh, brothers as well, and they're they're um, lovely people, and we get on great, and. We're, I've been over to London to see Nelly a few times and uh, we've been down in Connemara and I've got to stay in my father's house, uh, you know, which was magic, you know, so... And they're musically yeah. talented like yourself? My brother and his children are uh, top class, uh, traditional, uh, world class, traditional music players, you know. You have Mick Keneally and uh, Pauline and Bernie and Kathleen and... They're all just wonderful musicians, you know. Um, and your your running career will dip slightly back into that at the minute that mm-hmm. you won all those national titles. What stands out for you in your running career as, say, give me two highlights? Two highlights? Um, you know, I think I, I, I got a bronze medal in the West Athletic Championships, which is a... a uh, a nine-nation, eight or nine-nation championship, you know. I think that was in 10,000 yeah, metres. Portugal, and Spain, right. all the top. The, they're supposed to be the weaker countries in Europe, uh, but that's but they were the strongest in distance running, but uh, the, the weaker in terms of all the other sports, you know, and that's why the championship was set up. It's called the West Athletic. And uh, I, I got a bronze medal there. Uh, so to be on the rostrum for my country... Uh, with a bronze medal around my neck uh, was fabulous and John Tracy got a bronze in the 5000 and I got a bronze in the 10 so uh, that was that that would have to be a highlight and I suppose to win uh, the inter-counties across country would have to be a highlight because I've been so close so many times and uh, like I, I've, I've been second probably uh, in the inter-counties two or three times and in the inter-clubs uh, twice a bit second you know I'd missed out on winning uh, loads of times so to win it was just magic you know yeah yeah. and then you came back as a master athlete later on and you won I got a silver in the world masters uh, yeah so it was uh, but look at nothing nothing will ease the sense of uh, disappointment and not making the Olympics you know that's something you just live with and you know I feel sorry for myself the rest of my life on that one but listen it's not no nothing major life is uh, uh, you know it, it's just a minor thing in life isn't it you know and if you had any advice for young athletes I think we, we did touch on this before any advice for young aspiring athletes with thoughts of going to America in particular what would you say mm. today 
I would say to anyone who is in running and they have dreams, follow the dream, you know, and whether it's in America or whether it's here, believe in yourself. Uh, don't be like me. Don't have, uh, don't doubt yourself, you know, because the doubt that, and the fear is what stops you from doing things, you know. You don't have many doubts this day, these days because I was lucky to be down in <laughs> Galway not too long ago, some months ago down in Galway towards the end of the year, and you played to an audience of over a thousand people mm-hmm. on a stage mm-hmm. down there at a big country music festival. And they brought you back the second night as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. So And that was something else and, and what what touched me so much that night is uh, and has touched me all year, I suppose, last year, was the fact that you decided to do one of my songs, uh, put one of my songs on your album. And I'm yeah, forever yeah. more grateful for that. And you played it down there, and it was an emotional evening for both of us. I know it was. Would, yeah, would, you, yeah. would you mind introducing it and playing for, playing yeah, it for us? Yeah, I, I, well, you know, when, when it's amazing like, that we both didn't... Um, like we've known each other through the the running for years, but we never connected. That you were big into music and that I was big into music, and I I'd never realized that you and Ray McBride, like Ray, I always knew Ray was into the acting and stuff, but I didn't know he loved the music as well and the dancing. And uh, Ray was a lovely person, and he's a lovely person. Lovely, yeah. Because uh, I always remember him as a young runner starting up he was so encouraging and so friendly to me but um coming back to this song when you give me the words of the song i just love the words too because um i just thought it this is a marvelous song you know and i just thought i put my own interpretation on it and that's what happened and uh, it's it's gone down very well you certainly did uh, and I, I you know for a man that has shown you weren't given the greatest pack of cards to start with, but has shown such great resilience. Let's hope that the song gives a little bit of hope to people as well. Yes, yeah. I, I, I suppose, like in terms of a pack of cards to start, listen, when you look back and you look back on life and you say like that, as you say yourself, you know, you win all Ireland's and stuff and you, I played for Galway, I ran for Ireland and now I've had a number one album and a number one single. I mean, it doesn't come any better than that at the end of the day, you know. I've been, I've been blessed, is what I'm saying, you know. Uh, like, I'm not going to feel sorry for myself, you know. But So, I suppose uh, the goal now is to get one song in the Grand Old Opry and I can hang my hat up then, you know. And, and it could well be a song that we're going to play before the end of this podcast as well, just at the end of it. But uh, give us Marion's song at the moment. Okay. And, uh, and I, I'll dedicate this actually to anyone that, that's feeling down or, um, you know, over anything. You know, that there's always hope and, and uh, there's always friendship and it's important to reach out to people and... and uh, Friends are the most important thing in life. You know. As Johnny Doohan put it in a lovely song, the light is dim, but it will shine again. It's shining, yeah. So. So. Sit with me, talk with me, then come walk with me down by the ocean when it Let me help you in burdens, feeling lonesome. I've been where you're anchored. Let me be by your side. You're feeling as bleak as the first days of winter. Thinking no one loves you at all. An angel of lonesomeness perched on. Fragile emotions are now in free fall. Sit with me, talk with me, then come and walk with me down by the ocean when it's high tide. Let me help you and burden this feeling of lonesome. I've been where you're. 
great days of winter, they won't last forever. The sun will again warm your face. Your brittle, not broken, just feeling neglected. I've been where you're anchored, aboard in that place. Sit with me, talk with me. Then come walk with me Down by the ocean When it's high tide Let me help you unburden This feeling of lonesome I've been where you're anchored Let me be by your side I've been where you're anchored Let me be by your side just lovely Richard because uh, I've been to hold that when one writes a song and then a good friend uh, records it and uh, you have another album coming around the yeah, corner I, very soon I, I do I, I have I've been working on it over the last couple of months and um, looking forward to it when it's ready now I have a single out at the moment a, a double an A and a B side to it um, uh, this old farm and forgiveness and uh, two beautiful songs as well and uh, and your own family now have grown uh, tell us a small bit about them as well well yes uh, we have an empty uh, empty nest an empty nest um, uh, my oldest boy Richard um, he's in uh, Melbourne and my daughter Laura is in Melbourne I'm hoping she'll be back in a few months you know don't know what Richard will do, whether he'll stay there for a while longer or not, but he's been there a good few years. And um, he's working in construction, and Laura is just doing different work down there. She's on a two-year visa, you know, so. And uh, Owen is out in Blanchestown, and uh, that's where he is at the moment. And uh, then we have uh, the youngest fella, Oshin, is... Uh, in Vancouver in Canada so he's working over there at the so moment. they had the travel bug a little bit as well yeah 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 they all like to travel and go places yeah, yeah. and uh, music is now your central point well it, it's I have a chance now at this stage of my life you know to follow um, what I love to do and probably what I would have if I had the confidence you know I keep telling people that uh, before I ever ran or kicked a football, I I, I, I bought a guitar, um, and I didn't know where to get strings for it, you know, and I ended up selling it again. You know, it was an old guitar that I bought, and uh, uh, so I always had in my head that I loved, what wanted to learn the guitar, you know. So uh, it took me a long time to pick it up and learn it, but you know, you're never too late, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah, so uh, like no one knows what direction things take, but at the moment, yeah, I love the music and love performing and uh, love everything about it, yeah. yeah. So and you give the warmest of welcome in your house, and we'll finish on a note. And tell us a little bit more about this forgiveness. I think this is something maybe even world leaders need to learn a little bit about. Well, Can you give us a little bit more take on it? Because I think it's absolutely wonderful and beautiful uh, the way you've been able to let go, uh, the way you've been able to look at your life as well, because uh, you had a lot to that you could have become, you know, bitter about or, or taken a different stance on. So I think you've got a powerful message if you tell us just a little bit before we finish off this uh, episode of Heroes and Friends. That's been absolutely magic to just spend no, time it's, here. With it's you. been a pleasure, an honor for me to be uh, that you would even think of giving me a half an hour to talk to me. And you're a hero and a friend. Well, well thank you. Well, you're likewise, you know. And uh, it's, uh, I, I suppose, you know, I, I'm, by nature, I, I forgive very quickly. You know, it can be a, a good thing and a bad thing. But I think, that, you know, we all make mistakes. And um, I think we all like to be forgiven. And in, in the case of my mum's situation, I do believe, like there were brutal times, and 
I'm not making excuses for the church in any way, you know, uh, the, their behavior was terrible, you know, and the, there's bad people in everything. And, uh, and the, the big thing though for me is that within the church there's a lot of very good people and it's unfair that uh, they get tarnished by, uh, but I think it's also very important to recognize and if we've learned anything from what's happened in the church or, is that for good people to do nothing, that's when evil exists. And, and, and so for all of us in all walks of life to be more forthcoming when we see something that isn't right, that we speak up and say, this isn't right. Or this, and if the church learns from their mistakes, that's what they should be doing instead of covering up for things that they, they have, you know, and unfortunately they have done too much of that, you know, of covering up, protecting the church at all costs, when in fact the right thing to do is expose those people, you know, who don't belong in it in the first place, you know, and, and that's just my view. And the forgiveness comes in a sense that in my mother's case, I think she was treated in a certain way because they actually believed her that, you know, because she had a child out of wedlock that she needed to be punished and they were brainwashed into believing that instead of actually following the Bible's teachings, which are purely to forgive and, uh, you know, to treat, to do unto others what you wish them to do to you. And, and that, that is the simplest rule to follow, you know, why would you do something to somebody if you wouldn't like it done to yourself, you know? And I think that's what we all need to learn in life is that we treat people with respect and, uh, we mightn't agree with them, but respect them for their views and what whatever they do, you know. So that's that's about that's it. <laughs> you sound like a man of faith too. Um I, I wouldn't I I I'm spiritual, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't think I get uh tied up on in in religion as such, you know. But spiritual yes, yes. Uh I would feel that there is an, uh, something else when all this ends, you know. And um you know, I, I do I do believe that, yeah. So. I think we'd see you back in the USA before too long. And this time you'll be picking up the threads in a different way. You'll be uh, on stage and well, maybe knows? down in Nashville. <laughs> who knows, who knows. I'd, I'd love that. I'd love it, yeah. Because I love performing and you sound Galway. If you connect with an audience, it's, it's magic, you know. And you get the same kick out of it as you would out of a, a race, you know. Winning a race, you know, the high that you're on when you... When you win a race, where you get the same, I, I don't think I, I slept that night. You know, when I went back to the hotel, you know, because you're you're kind of on a high, yeah, yeah. So well, I think we'd finish this uh, episode of Heroes and Friends maybe with the recording of this old farm as well, because uh, that was the farm you uh, were left, and then you you eventually uh, sold. I believe that yes. was a, that was yeah. a tough wrench to sell the farm as well, but it's a yeah. magic song. Oh, thanks very much. Yeah, yeah it, 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 I just wanted to pay tribute to my parents, you know, and, and uh, you know, in reality, you know, when you grow up on the farm and, you know, we all know how important land is to farmers and to people from the west of Ireland in particular who are lucky enough to have a farm or whatever. And to actually, to give it away, I mean, I sold it, like, but I didn't give it away. But in fact, you know, money doesn't mean anything really. But I... I I got to a stage in my life where I realized that I was never going to go back farming and my kids weren't interested in farming, you know, and you have a farm that needs to be tended, it needs to be, you know, you have to make a decision for what's right, you know, at the time and that's where I decided to sell the farm and um, it's a hard thing to do, believe me, uh, because you're letting go of a lot of memories and a lot of, uh, you know, it's just... It's it's a uh, it's an emotional time, yeah. Like it's, you feel it's in good hands. I that's and as I said in the song, you know, there's new life in it now, and it's being tended properly, and you know, it it's for the next generation, you know. Yeah, yeah. We well, don't own anything in this life, you know. We don't own anything. We we have a a duty, I think, to take care of things, and if you're not taking care of it, you're better let somebody else. Do it, you know. Yes. Well, Richard Mulligan, thank you so much for 
a beautiful evening, uh, some lovely, lovely conversation. Well, th- thank and you. May the road ahead be so good for you. Well, thank you so much. And likewise uh, for you and for all the listeners out there as well, you know. Uh, uh, we we'll go out on the note of this old farm. Thank you so much. Thank you. Daddy, 
brother John and 